0: Good morning, everyone. So, welcome to this time as we continue our worship. I always like to kind of be reminded, remind myself, remind us that our worship started. We woke up, we got here, we had our corporate prayer time, our worship was starting. And then our fellowship in between, our worship was continuing. Uh, then our music time, our worship was continuing. And now we continue with a preaching time as well. Very excited as we go over Matthew 9, 1 through 8. Uh, As I was preparing, there's a lot of different ahas and so on. Um, May by his grace the same be for you as we walk through this. We continue on a fantastic, miraculous, God-centered journey of Jesus in his physical ministry as we walk through this part of Matthew. We're also going to glean from the other accounts as well, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 5, 17 through 25, as it gives us a few more pieces of understanding of what was happening uh, in this particular setting. So let's just read through very quickly. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, Go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. There's a lot of beauty in here. And one of the things that the main topic I want us to get an understanding out of is that the Son of Man is God. The Son of Man is God. And we'll go into more details as we flow through this. But the Son of Man is God. There is much for us to be encouraged out of this. Let's give a little bit of a backdrop to that as well. Uh, Pastor Mike had just preached uh, on the end of Matthew 8, and we know Jesus had cast out demons from a few men, and then the people in the town said, Please leave! (laughs) Not thank you, please leave. We're scared. So he hops back in the boat with the disciples, goes back over, uh, to Capernaum. Uh, we know that he's at his home base. You know, some commentators say it could be Peter's home because, you know, he did heal Peter's mother in law. Maybe he was working out of there. But either way, we get the understanding he was working out of a home base and everyone knew he was there. And just a little backdrop of the homes of that day they weren't like the homes we have. We have homes with many rooms and they're big homes. Some of you may say, I don't have a big house. If you remove all the rooms, you'd find out it's pretty big compared to the homes they had back then. The homes back then were simple homes with maybe one or two rooms or just that was it, the main room. And they had, when they slept, they had a mat that they would roll out, lay right there on that mat, and that was it. And when they got up, roll up their mat, and put it in the corner. They didn't go to a bedroom. Those rooms were multifunctioning. Everything was there. One open room. The roof was made with branches that were laid across the ceiling beams. The branches were packed with mud that dried in the sun. They were sturdy enough to walk on, but they could be dug through with work. Often the, there were outside stairs leading up to the rooftops they had some archeological, archaeological I can't even say the word, but you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) archeological. Tongue twister for me at this morning. Uh, Dig up some of those old ancient homes at that time. And at, at very best, some of the largest homes would account for maybe 50 people standing tightly together. So when we look at this, we have to consider this. It gives us the understanding that there was a huge crowd there. We get the understanding also from Mark and Luke that the Pharisees and teachers of the law from Judea, Jerusalem, and the regions of Galilee were all there. So he had a form of teachers and leaders there observing him. The room is packed. People are standing, listening to Jesus. You have people wrapped around the house, peeking in probably, standing room only. No other way to get in. And then you have four men bringing a brother of theirs. I say brother loosely as a friend to see Jesus. They get there. We assume that they've walked. It's not like what we do. We hop in a car and we're here in like two minutes. (laughs) They did some walking, carrying a man on a mat. It was basically his own bed trying to figure out, how do we get to Jesus? The house is packed. It's packed around the outside. People are looking in, trying to hear Jesus. And you have these four men with this paralyzed man. How do we get to Jesus? They go up on the roof. And they lure him down. What happens next puts on blast what God's message is to them and to us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your almighty word. We thank you that your word is alive, constantly teaching, growing us with the work of the spirit, transforming us more into your son's likeness. May it be so this Morning. may we walk away just a little bit more transformed in jesus likeness than when we walked in and if anyone here does not know you maybe for the first time their heart will be softened and they will start eternity with you the repentance and faith in your son jesus We lift these things up in your son's matchless name. Amen. So the son of man is God. There's three things that I want us to just be aware of as we walk through this. One, and you may have to change the part on your paper because I I told Pastor Cleet one thing, and as usually what would happen, something else comes to you and you rearrange some things. So first one, son of man confirms your election through your genuine faith. The Son of Man confirms your election through your genuine faith. Second, the Son of Man knows our deepest need. The Son of Man knows our deepest need. Third, and most importantly, the Son of Man confirms his authority. The Son of Man confirms his authority. So Jesus stepped in a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, this is huge because it's so easy to overlook what Jesus is saying here. You have the almighty God saying, I see your faith. How does one obtain faith? Well, in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will take a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Christ himself says, no one can come to me except by way of the Father who draws him to me. No one's creating their own faith. God is doing a work in you. But we must receive what has been freely given. So it's pretty powerful when Jesus says, I see your faith, because he's saying, I see the work that I have done in you and that you have received. Your sin is forgiven. That's a powerful interaction with God in the flesh. Take heart, he says. The Lord is constantly feeding us truth, but comforting us along the way, comforting us because he loves us. I always have to remind myself, and I try as it comes to mind, if it's appropriate to encourage someone, whatever's happening in your life, the Lord is not trying to hurt you. He loves you tremendously. So whatever we're suffering, it's hard in that moment. But we know that the Lord will walk us through it. Take heart, which is another way of saying, take courage. Be encouraged, son. Your sins are forgiven. The Almighty God looks at you beyond the skin and says, I see the faith. I see the work in you. I see that you've received what's been freely given. Your sin is forgiven. Faith manifests itself by what one does in response to Jesus. That's something we want to keep in mind. Faith manifests itself by what one does in response to Jesus. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. These men had faith and knew that God was the only way. They tried everything else. He's the one. They may not have known that he was actually God in the flesh, but they knew this was of God and this was the only way. And this says a lot because we can overlook the journey those men had. Four men carrying another man. Is it that easy to carry a man? I mean, try to pick up a brother next to you and try to carry him. Grab three other people and try to carry him. And then just kind of walk down the street and see how that works out. That's a heavy load. Four men carrying another man. Then they didn't just carry him. They pulled him up on top of the roof. That takes a lot of work. Whether they had steps or not there, we don't know. Either way, they got to, well, you think the steps weren't really wide for all four men to carry them up? If they had steps, someone's got to take the lead. Someone's got to carry the heavier part or no steps. Someone has to climb up on the roof. Then they've got to wiggle them up and someone's got to grab part of the body. and the other part's got to push them up. It takes a lot of work. Then it doesn't even stop there. Get them on the roof. Now you've got to cut through the roof. A roof that was strong enough that you could stand on, that you got to cut through, you're doing some work. That takes serious work. That says a lot. We don't want to overlook that because it says a lot about genuine faith. They were desperate to get to Jesus. They could have packed it up and said, man, it is packed. I'm sorry, (laughs) brother. You're paralyzed. We're going to have to wait. We're going to go back. We'll try to catch up with him later. No, the answer was, that's Jesus. Nothing's getting in the way. We will get to him one way or another. Genuine faith sees Jesus and will run right to him. Nothing will get in your way. Nothing will get in your way. They tore down the roof to get to Jesus. It also says a lot about what a person of faith in God will sacrifice to get their friend to God. says a lot. Because these men had other responsibilities. Some of them may have had families. They definitely probably had some sort of job they were working. They had to give up something to take this man to Jesus. So it says a lot about your love for another brother to want to get to Jesus. It says a lot about your love of Jesus to want another brother to meet Jesus. What are you willing to sacrifice? What roof will you tear down to get your friend to Jesus? They tore down the roof to get to Jesus. It says a lot about sometimes... In this now day and age where we kind of, and I get it, we we try to be as loving as we can and we'll claim the name of Jesus, but sometimes we can trip over ourselves and then put aside Jesus for the name of a fleshly love. But real love in Jesus is real love centered in the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus never backed away from the truth. Oh, yes, he was the most sympathetic and empathetic and had great love, always centered in truth, which is why so many rejected him in the end. And so that says for us, we too must be centered and rooted in Jesus. We must care more about Jesus than everyone else's response to Jesus from us. You didn't see them saying, hmm, I wonder if our brother's going to really accept this. You got to get to Jesus. Didn't worry about how uncomfortable it was. I hear from people continually, sometimes, you know, we say stuff that could be offensive from Jesus. And before, and before us, Jesus said things, and it was offensive to people because their heart was shut off from him. That's what it comes down to. He said to them, what did he say to the people that he was speaking to? And I believe it was in the book of John. Well, he said, Abraham longed to see my day. And if you were of him, you would know who I am. Your father is not from above, it's from below. You're of the devil. This is why you do not understand who I am. That's what it comes down to. People will be offended, but understand Jesus already has that covered. It's not because of you. Now, it's one thing to, to manage and understand how you deliver yourself. We can always get better at that, right? But don't trip over ourselves that we allow that to be the stepping stone the obstacle to not say anything, trust it that God has already ordained this moment and has prepared a way, to Deliver the truth, care enough about Jesus, focus on Jesus, bring them to Jesus, bring yourself to Jesus. And again, nothing should get in the way. No excuses. Perhaps you take a chance on losing a friendship because you care enough about Person, you care enough about Jesus and you love that person enough through Jesus that you want to tell them truth and you try to do it as gently as you can and they still reject you and they walk away you lose a friendship. Are you willing to lose a friendship? These men tore down the roof to take this man to Jesus. Now it just so happened this man the Lord had worked on his heart and obviously he had received what had been Handed to him freely, or else Jesus would not have said, I see your faith. Take heart. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. But what I am saying is that these men were willing to do anything to get this brother to Jesus. And how about us? The paralyzed man trusted that Jesus was sufficient. You know, sometimes there are obstacles in the way, as we talked about. There are always obstacles in this fallen world. And God will allow it. There are obstacles always. Sometimes there are physical ob- obstacles, but a lot of times there are obstacles up here. What we fear, how someone's going to look at us, how someone's going to reject us. We're always seeking approval from man. And God is training us and growing us through the spirit, spiritual work in us that we seek His approval, not man's approval. Then we'll worry less about what everyone else has to say, and then we'll say less stuff about, well, I don't want to say it because it might be offensive. To them, but if the guy, if the word says this, how they take it is how they take it. But your job is to be faithful to delivering it. Speaking of other stories of. Getting to Jesus, Matthew 9, 20, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. I think there's one thing I want to take a pause and separate from, because sometimes we can confuse the fact that someone says they want Jesus with someone who actually believes in Jesus. Because there are two different things. Think about the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and the wealth that God had given him had become actually his idolatry. So then God said, give it all up. I can't, and walked away. So don't confuse the fact that some people actually say that they want Jesus to run to them, that it always means that it shows faith. God will stamp that out one way or another. This woman had faith that God was the only means... She may not have understood fully about who Jesus was, but she understand this was of God. Therefore, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And Jesus turned in sorrow and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. That's genuine faith working out. Not just a, I just want to go get healed and just go do what I want to do. I believe Jesus is the way. He healed her, and now she starts walking in step and step with Jesus' commands. Or remember the Canaanite woman who, I believe it was her daughter, her child was actually demon-possessed. And it was this interaction. She went to Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm here for the house of Israel. And she said, even the dogs take scraps from the table, Jesus. And then Jesus replied, woman, you have great faith. These are examples of people who didn't just want to get something, they believed. And at that moment, what they believed was aligned with what God wanted to deliver to them. What I mean by this, God says, you know, asking you shall receive. But he says you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong intentions. So in these moments, the intentions of these people were aligned with what God's will was to magnify God's power. Because there are other paralyzed people who don't get healed and who won't. There was probably another one who was bleeding who won't get healed at that moment. God's grace, unfortunately, will have to be, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but in that moment, you might say, God's grace is sufficient, brother, sister. I had a family member one time, actually, it was my mother. She had went through three strokes. If you saw her to this day, you would not know that she went through three strokes. So what had happened, literally, I was laying down, and I heard her call to me. She was laying on the ground. She was paralyzed in half of her body. We did not know that. I was just like, just get up. I was like, get up, mother. What's going on? You know, we are just playing her, and she couldn't move. So call the ambulance. I'm still in denial that this is what it is. We get to the hospital. They said, your mother had a stroke. I was like, she didn't have a stroke. She's one of the healthiest people I know. She eats healthier than anyone. You know, the usual thing. There's no way she had a stroke. Son, she had a stroke. This is probably her third stroke. Two massive strokes and one minor stroke. I was rocked because I still was in denial. Went through a whole series of things together of how we're going to get through this. We got to one doctor. The doctor says there's a 25% chance that you will not get another stroke again. And I thought and I said... I don't know if that's good enough. And I looked at her and I said, listen, I don't know much, but I do know this. God did not bring us to this moment for this to stop. If he does, so be it. We will keep pushing doors and he will reveal it. And we'll keep praying and lifting it up to him. And sure enough, we went to the next doctor. The next doctor combined with another doctor. They figured out what was going on. Right at the time of the surgery, there was a huge blood clot that would have went to her brain. It would have obliterated her. She would have died right then and there. God's timing. God's timing. Fifteen years later, you wouldn't even know she had a stroke. God's timing. Someone else has a half a stroke, a small one, and they're in a different place. It magnifies his will to show his authority. Son of man confirms his election in you you when genuine faith fights through obstacles. Jesus told the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Do you see in there where the paralyzed man said, thanks, Jesus. (laughs) They wanted to move for a long time. (laughs) Oh, this is great. No, actually, Jesus said, get up and take your mat. He got up. He took his mat. There's a lot to be said, said about genuine faith equals submission to what God says. That's something that we have to think about always, submission, submission. God calls us to submission. I know that's a hard word in today's climate, submission, because it just sounds so, we're either submitting to ourselves or we're submitting to God. There is no way about it. Let me ask you, what roof do you need to tear a hole in in your life to get to Jesus? Some of us are, we have a roof that we just can't get through. Because we're hanging on, maybe like the rich young ruler or something. And it's a little bit easier to walk away than it is to repent, turn to Jesus, and have him take over. The Son of Man confirms your election through genuine faith. The Son of Man also knows our deepest need. Some men, brought him to a paralyzed, some men brought him to a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their face, he said to the man, take, your hearts, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, while they had faith in him, they still expected that the man would be healed. So you notice it must have been some type of shock when you're taking your brother to get healed, and Jesus says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. okay, it's going to be a little bit of shock because they still were focused on, I know Jesus is the way, and he's going to heal them. And Jesus says to them, no, actually, your sins are forgiven, that's most important. Imagine I had twisted my foot several days ago. I don't know how it happened. It was just one of those things. I woke up, started walking, and I was limping. I said, what in the world is this coming from? It was just, I'm just getting old. And um, imagine going to the hospital, and I said, doc, my foot is hurting. they are like, okay, we're going to take care of it. We're going to put you under, and we're going to perform heart surgery. What? <laughs> well, because it, that's what it stems from. You need heart surgery first. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, there are all the problems in the world, but there's one root cause. Now, it doesn't mean that that man who was paralyzed, that he was paralyzed because of a specific sin, although the Lord does show us in this fallen world, there are specific things that we get caught up into, like transmitted diseases and so on, from doing things outside of the bounds of what Lord commands us to, that are direct link. But outside of that, period, all these fallen things come from one root cause, sin. I remember when Pastor Cleet was leading a Bible study a few weeks ago, and we were talking about roles and identities, and we were talking about how those things, you know, is that who you are type of scenario. And, and, you know, we came to, as we were talking through it, that, you know, the Lord gives us these various roles. In life, you know, one's a husband and a father or a wife and a mother and uh, a neighbor and, you know, an uncle, etc. cetera. And often in our flesh, we can turn those roles into idolatry. And then we look through those lenses to deal with all the issues we see wrapped around us. So then everyone's got to, this is what we need to do. Type of scenario on everything. And yet Christ is saying sin is the root of it. What do I mean by that? Well, I dare say that as an African American, I could easily pull, I could easily go this route. My grandfather was born in 1882 and died in 1985. He was a runaway slave. He was forced to have sex with the slave masters' wives or they would kill him. So he ran and ran and ran and ran. So he went through two centuries, basically. My mother grew up 70 years, she's 70 years old. She grew up where men would walk around with guns. They had to walk, co- work cotton fields, then work their own farm, and then scrub everything by hand, work to the bone. By the grace of God, you know not one of them said to me, look at anyone with white and hate them, but take every person one at a time. And as I came to Christ, I began to understand that God says, I'm the one that rises someone up in the east. He's in charge. All things on to God. And then that softened my heart even more. So then it became easier to look at my brethren, whether they're white or any color, and say, we are image bearers of God. We need Jesus. That is the core problem. Everything else is surface that we're caught up into. Oh, that's a real deal. We can listen to each other what we think. be careful, because you already know the solution. You see this creeping into the churches. I heard a brother say, I need to just step back as a white person, and I need to listen to my black brother who has the answer. No. You listen to what they're seeing and experiencing in their flesh, but you have the answer. Jesus Christ is enough. That's where it comes from. Or someone hanging on to some form, things that are happening to women, they see There's outrageous things in the fact that men have abused their role, so it's been through the flesh and not through God. But the answer is not what everyone tells you it is. It is simply repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus, and you will be transformed. If you tell me, I know plenty of people, and they still do these things, their work's in progress, or they may not know God. Jesus is still saying, He's the answer. He's the answer. Let me ask you, do you think the paralytic just had the problem of being paralyzed? You think he had a bunch of other problems? Yeah. Let's think about it. Right now we have tons of homes for elderly and for people that are in particular positions and they can be government partially funded and so on. You think they had any of that stuff back then? He was just paralyzed. He didn't have gleaners, and all these other things that we have to our day. I'm sure he had a host of other problems. Matter of fact, think about this. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, did that remove all the issues that the nation of Israel were going through at the hands of the Romans? No, because in his will, he was going to take them down, not according to their will. When he came to was to deal with the core problem. Sin was the problem. That's why one nation overtakes another, why one brother goes against another brother, why someone rapes or kills. It's because of sin, nothing else. I love, as one commentator said, our felt needs or physical needs may be great, but they will never be as great as our need For forgiveness, that is the core. The story of forgiveness and the healing of the paralytic is a picture in miniature of the redemptive work of Christ. You and I were the lame man, helpless, paralyzed by our sins, and God takes care of that. Is that you? Have you truly accepted Jesus? What is he telling you that you need to keep rejecting in order to glorify glorify yourself in the area of your life? Because I don't know about you, I can quickly glorify myself. As soon as I walk right out of the building, what am I going to do now? Not necessarily a bad thing, but not necessarily always a good thing. What do you need to reject to get to Jesus? The Son of Man confirms your election through genuine faith. The Son of Man knows our deepest need. The Son of Man confirms his authority. The last piece. When we go back and look at this, Jesus said, I saw their faith. He said, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. One, when Jesus said, I saw their faith, who can see their faith, see someone's faith? Only God. We can be confused. We could say, oh, I'm surely that brother's got to have faith because he's doing all these things. Well, Judas walked with the disciples and yet proved out that he did not have faith in God. The Pharisees knew God's word word for word and showed, and God said to them in Capernaum, You are denied the kingdom of heaven and you're trying to t- keep, prevent others from receiving. In other words, you're going to hell and you're trying to take others with you. And those were people that were well trained in the word of God. So we are not the ultimate determinant nation of someone's faith, God is. So when God says, I see your faith, he is confirming what they should have known. Only God can look into a person's heart and see what is there. No man on the face of this earth can do that. If you look at the interactions in Mark 2, 7, She has more detail in their thinking. They say, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. And then the detail is is very clear on this part. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew that. And so also know who can look into a man's heart and see faith but God. What did they have in the Old Testament that taught them about sin and how to be right before God? What did they have? They had the Levitical laws. and The Lord said, I will come amongst you and be your God and you will be my people. And the Levitical laws pointed them to when they sinned, then there had to be a sacrifice for that sin. A blood, uh, uh, the blood of a bull or goat that was sacrificed, an unblemished animal. And so he also says that, you know, the, the blood of bulls and goats never, never fully satisfied him because What would happen is that bull or that goat would be sacrificed for that one sin. You go back and do the same sin, you got to do the same thing over again. It never satisfied for all time. But yet it was foreshadowing to the Messiah that would take away the sins for all time. So he was preparing them and growing them. So they knew that only God can forgive sins. So when he says, take heart, your sins are forgiven, Either this guy is blaspheming and has to be stoned to death per Leviticus chapter 24, or he really is who he says he is. They knew it would have been a capital offense. Let's look at something else that confirms who he is. Chapter 4, excuse me, verse 4. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. When Jesus is saying in his word, knowing their thoughts, why do you entertain evil? Two things. One, We understand only God can know their thoughts, further confirmation of who Jesus is. But also to them, when he says, why do you entertain evil in your your hearts? Would that not shock you that a person knows what you're thinking? Wouldn't that throw you off? He just called out the truth in our hearts. Something's wrong. He's got to be God. This also shows a lot about the love of God being displayed even amongst rejection of his authority. What does he say to them? He gives them an opportunity. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Remember back in Genesis, what he said to Cain? Why, do you, why is your face so gloom? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But sin is crouching at your door and it desires to devour you. God always out of his love Gives another, hey, I know what's going on here. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Jesus plays along with this. It shows just a continual love, giving them an opportunity to do what is right. Then he says, Given, he gives a simple question. What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Let's think about this for a second. If I told someone, your sins are forgiven, I really can't prove that, right? If I told someone, get up and walk, and they were paralyzed, and you knew they were paralyzed, and they got up and walked, that would say a lot, wouldn't it? But for Jesus, both are easy. Because he's God. So to say your sins are forgiven and to get up and walk are equally easy for him. But to prove it as he says the truth, your sins are forgiven, he backs it up by saying, get up and walk. There is no man on the face of the earth that has power by the power of his word to tell a paralyzed person to get up and walk. Nowhere. If they didn't get it, they should have got it then. I think this is a problem. This says a lot about a heart that is hardened and not of God. Throughout Jesus' entire ministry leading up to this point, he was showing he was who he said he was. Jesus turns water into wine in a wedding. Who does that? Jesus heals a noble son. Who does that? Jesus drives out an evil spirit from a man. Who does that? Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Sick with a fever. Who can do that by the power of their word? Jesus heals many sick and oppressed in the evening. Who can do that? The first miraculous catch of the fish. Throw your net back in. All of a sudden, it's so heavy, it's practically tipping on the boat. Who can do that? Jesus heals the centurion's paralyzed servant. Who can do that? And Jesus heals a paralytic who is let, let down from the roof. Who can do that but the God who created it? Let me ask you, why didn't he heal the world by the power of his word at that time? He healed, I mean, he healed this paralytic. He could have just said, all sickness be gone. You remember that interaction when they said, Jesus, who who sinned? This guy has this ill. He goes, no one sinned. It's the fact that God will be glorified in that moment. Every healing that Jesus did was making a statement. It was making a specific statement. He could have healed the entire world as he chose. That's not what he was here to do. He was here to deal with the core problem of all the sickness of the world. Sin. And every particular healing that he did had a particular statement of who he is. When he told the paralytic your sins are forgiving, he is pointing to the future work on the cross that he's about to accomplish. This is a very important piece right here. But I want you to know, Jesus even tells him why. He backs it up. Why am I doing this? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's letting you know. I want you to know because the promised Messiah is here and this is my authority on earth to forgive sins. What does it mean, he says, the son of man? What does that mean? The son of man is, son of man itself is really a a common term. It really means man. As in, man and then there's God. Just means man. It emphasizes the humanity of a person. Matter of fact, in the book of Ezekiel, he's referred to as the Son of Man over ninety times, but Jesus is referred to as the Son of as the Son of Man, eighty eight times in the New Testament, and Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. There's a difference here. There's Son of Man. Man, the Son of Man that Jesus refers to. There's a big difference. The Son of Man, as in. The only man that is man and fully God. And that references back to 7, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Therefore, before me was one like a son of man, so a man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, if you go to Daniel 4.34, God had given this dream, and in it, it says about God the Father, for his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So you have the description of the Messiah falling right in line with the description of God the Father. What is God's first commandment? I worship any other gods. God is not going to have you worshiping something else unless it's Him. This is proof that Jesus the Messiah is God. When God references Him in the same fashion as He references Himself, He would not do that. He's pure and perfect, holy, 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 unchanging. He would not tell you, don't worship other gods. Oh, but in the same fashion, This is equal to me. He's referring to himself or of the Godhead, the Son of God or Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The teachers of the law during Jesus' time on earth would have readily understood Jesus' meaning when he applied the title Son of Man to himself. Jesus' use of this phrase points to his exalted state as a person of the Godhead and the fact that he will fulfill Daniel's prophecy. This was a prophecy being fulfilled. They would have known this, or they should have known this. This we don't want to overlook, and I would encourage you to go back and look through Daniel 7, 13-14 and Daniel 4, 34, and just look at that, how he describes himself and how the Messiah is described. And ask yourself, what. Is he saying further proof on the Trinity? John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. What God is saying in this passage is that he is God in the flesh, on earth, and he has authority and all power has been given to him to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. Right from the Old Testament. The Son of Man confirms your election through genuine faith. The Son of Man knows our deepest need. The Son of Man confirms his authority. What should be our response? Well, look at the end. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. We should be in awe and be amazed. Further proof and when we walk out of here, we know God in Christ is who, they, who he said he was. He is who he is. We should have no doubt. We should walk out glorifying and praising God. Understanding further depths into who this Messiah is. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your holy, holy, holy word that it is mighty and that by your grace and the work of the Spirit, we can get bits of truths as you choose and we walk with you. I pray, Father, that what we've discussed today will penetrate our hearts Stir us up for you. May we be more in reverence to you, more in awe of who you are. May we have greater conviction. May we have greater desire to pursue your word and get into deeper truths. And may we have more boldness to want to go tell others about what we have learned. May you increase And may we decrease. We lift these things up in your son's matchless name. Amen.